Jewish audio on Kaban.org. Continuing now with chapter 6 in the laws of Shabbos. Chapter 6 deals with a very complex set of laws. By way of introduction, a Jew may not perform labor on Shabbos. The animal of a Jew may not perform labor on Shabbos. The slave of a Jew, during the times that people had slaves, is prohibited to perform labor on Shabbos. Because it's Shabbos. Lecho, v'la'abdecho, v'la'amosecho, and so on. However, a non-Jew is not obligated to keep Shabbos. A non-Jew doesn't have to keep Shabbos. Some say a non-Jew is forbidden to keep Shabbos. The question is then, can a non-Jew do things for a Jew on Shabbos? The answer is, in theory, a non-Jew could do anything they want on Shabbos. Because they're not obligated to keep Shabbos. However, the question is, can a Jew ask a non-Jew to do something? Can a Jew utilize what a non-Jew does when he does it, especially for him? How does the rabbinic decree affect this? Those are the issues. It is forbidden to directly tell a non-Jew to engage in a labor, in a forbidden prohibition for us on Shabbos. Even though the non-Jew is not commanded to keep Shabbos, but you cannot tell him verbally to violate it. You have to tell him in a roundabout way. Even though he told them before Shabbos, it doesn't help. Even though he doesn't need that done until after Shabbos. This prohibition also is forbidden. Only rabbinically. What is the purpose of this rabbinic prohibition? In order that Shabbos not be regarded lightly in the eyes of the Jew, the Yavayu lost his ba'atzmam, and he'll do it himself. Therefore, our sages enacted a decree, don't have the non-Jew do it as well. And therefore, we have a complex set of laws as to what the non-Jew may do, what the non-Jew may not do, and how he can be told to do it, and how he could not be told to do it. And let me give you the general gist of the rule. The general gist of the rule is that prohibitions involving the 39 labors of Shabbos should not be done under ordinary circumstances by a non-Jew for a Jew. So he shouldn't plant and he shouldn't uh, plow and he shouldn't reap and he shouldn't harvest and he shouldn't cook and he shouldn't bake and he, all those things this, these are not things that Jews do for non-Jews what a, that non-Jews could do for Jews what a non-Jew may do is something that either does not violate the Shabbos law or under certain special circumstances for public use there are certain 
of leniencies for illness, for semi-illness, and so on and so forth. And even then, one has to be meticulous as to how one says it and so on. That's in general terms. Bays, there are also certain leniencies which have to do with the traditional Shabbos Goy, the non-Jew who would come into the house of a Jew and do certain things after the Friday night meal and so on and so forth. When a non-Jew performs a forbidden labor on his own, on Shabbos, I didn't ask him to do it, and he did it, and it's really a forbidden labor. If he did it for the Jew, then the Jew may not benefit from that labor until after Shabbos. And he should even wait in order that there be enough time for the labor to be done after Shabbos. And even then, it should not be a public act where everybody saw where the, the, the public will know was done for so-and-so on Shabbos. However, if the non-Jew did whatever he did for his own use, he may derive benefit from it on Shabbos. Ketzad, for example, a non-Jew went and kindled a a candle, lit the candle. There's no reason the Jew should not light the candle, which is why in the tradition of the Shabbos Goy of the Gentile who would come into the Jewish home on Friday night, they would have the non-Jew, for example, light the candle or do whatever he did, and they would give him something to eat. So he's benefiting from the light. He's eating by the light. That's why this engendered such love within the non-Jew to the Jew, because the Jews were so hospitable and so kind, and always feeding them, and kugel, kugel's good. Don't knock kugel. That's before they knew what carbs were. The imbishvil Yisrael, but if he's doing it specifically only for the Jew, and he himself is not benefiting from it, also then it's forbidden. What if the non-Jew built a ramp to come off the boat? The Jew can come off too, theoretically. Because he's coming off on the non-Jew's ramp. But if he built it for the Jew, also it's a problem. <coughs> Building is one of the major prohibitions. What if he filled the trench with water to allow his animal to drink, then the Jew can follow. If he did it for the Jew, also it's forbidden. If he plucked or gathered grass, to feed his animal, then the Jew can allow his animal to eat from the grass plucked on Shabbos. Plucking is a major violation. Provided they don't know each other. Perhaps he'll do intentionally more. And he'll do it for the Jew. So also, anything where you can suspect that the non-Jew created more of it because he knows and likes and wants to help this Jew, that's a problem. These are all major Shabbos violations. Things that cannot be increased or decreased. A candle. You don't like the candle, you don't like the candle. The kevesh, a ramp. You either make the ramp or you don't make the ramp. 
being that the non-Jew created for himself, the Jew benefits, even though he knows if there is a candle lit for a gathering on Shabbos, in Rebbe Yisrael, the majority of the gathering of Jews also the Shabbos light, it's a problem. Because when one kindles, one kindles for the majority. But if the majority are non-Jews, he may use the light. Also it's forbidden. <coughs> Similarly speaking, of a fire breaks out on Shabbos, and the non-Jew comes to extinguish. We're not talking about life and death. You know, nowadays, all fires could be considered life and death, perhaps, because of the dangers of fires, but it depends how isolated it is. But we're not talking life and death. If a fire breaks out and the, gent- the Gentile comes in, you should not tell him, extinguish or don't extinguish, because... He's not obligated to keep the Shabbos, and it's not our responsibility. Let him do what he sees fit. Similarly speaking, any similar story. If a non-Jew makes a coffin, they dug a grave for a corpse, or they brought flutes, to play mourning dirges, which they used to do back then, for the deceased. <clears throat> All things that were done on Shabbos, in Betzina, if it was done quietly, not publicly, they should wait until it's done, until there's enough time to do it on Saturday night, and he can be buried in that grave, in that coffin, they could use those flutes. But if this grave was in a big public square, and everybody saw it prepared on Shabbos. We are in Agabav, and the coffin is laying there. But the fact that this non-Jew, this group of non-Jews are digging the grave or preparing the coffin or what have you, is being done on Shabbos for this and this Jew, that's a problem. It's a wanton public declaration and desecration of Shabbos, that you should never be buried there. Because it's a public declaration. But at another time, another Jew may be buried there. As long as he waits, and it should be long enough to make this after Shabbos. So here we see that public knowledge has a lot to do with this. What the public knows, if there's a public knowledge of a desecration by the non-Jew, or an act, I wouldn't say desecration, because non-Jews don't desecrate Shabbos, of the, of the non-Jew creating on Shabbos. Six, I want to point out again, as I have so many times, that we don't decide halacha from learning the Rambam. The Rambam evolves into... The Code of Jewish Law, the Shulchan Aruch, known as the Machaber, and the Ramah, and the Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch, and the Mishnah Brura, and all of the halachic authorities which flow, but this gives us a tremendous background knowledge, but we don't decide halacha from learning Rambam. If a non-Jew brought flutes on Shabbos for the dirge, for death, for death, even though he brought them from just outside the wall. Yam he should wait till Saturday night, enabling him to have enough time to come from a close distance. And then 
they can begin the morning. Perhaps at night he brought them from another place to the wall. In the morning they came in. <clears throat> if he knows for sure that he brought it from this and this place, he should wait until they can come from that place. It's not in the main square, as we say. Even if there's a city where Jews and non Jews dwell, and there's a bathhouse which is open on Shabbos. If the majority are non-Jews, then he may go in immediately after Shabbos and bathe in it. Because it was prepared for the non-Jew, if the majority are Jews, then he should wait as long as it takes to heat water, because it was heated for the majority. What if it's half and half? Yamtin, he should wait, until they heat up hot water, Eight. What if a Jew verbally stated to the non-Jew, do this for me on Shabbos, even though he transgressed, and the court could give him the optional rabbinic lashes if they wish for violating rabbinic law wantonly and intentionally. He can still benefit from that after they wait. The only reason we forbade and had them wait until there was enough time to do it after Shabbos is for the following reason. If you say it's immediately permissible, he'll tell the non-Jew to do it. It should be ready right after Shabbos. Being that they forbade it, you shouldn't tell the non-Jew because he doesn't benefit and they should misakiv. But we want him to wait until evening in order for this to have been able to be done after Shabbos. Something that's not a labor, not forbidden to do on Shabbos, only by rabbinic law. Then it's permissible for the Jew to tell the non-Jew to do it because it's a rabbinic law on top of a rabbinic law. And that never applies. Assuming that there is some type of illness, not a dangerous illness, but some level of illness. Or there's a great need, a very pressing manner, a mitzvah that has to be done. Ketzad, for example, a Jew could tell a non-Jew to climb up a tree, which is forbidden by rabbinic law, or to swim over the water, forbidden by rabbinic law, in order to bring a shofar for sounding the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, or a knife for circumcision, or from a courtyard to courtyard, which has no erube chatzeros, which doesn't connect them legally, Mayim cham in warm water, lachetz, but I'm caught to wash a child, or mitzdayer, someone who's not well, v'chein kol kayetzibah. Eleven, alikeach bayis v'aretz Yisrael men anokhri, somebody purchases a home in Israel, purchasing it from a non-Jew, muter leleim alinokhti lichtu deshar b'shabbos, without legal documents, you don't purchase anything. You may instruct a non-Jew to issue a document on Shabbos, because just 
verbally issuing an order to a non-Jew is only a rabbinic decree, because of the great mitzvah of Jews dwelling in Israel, like Gozer B'dobar this decree was not issued. What about Syria, which back then was considered an extension of Israel? Syria is like Israel with regard to this item. Twelve Yud Beis, Pesach Adam, Pesach Adam, Imanochia Malacha Bekeitzes Damim. A Jew may make an arrangement with a non-Jew and set the price to do a particular labor. Vanochia Yisalatzme, and then the non-Jew does it on his own time. Miapa Pishu Eisah B'Shabbos, even though he does it on Shabbos. Muta, for example, you can bring your shoes to the cobbler to do whatever cobblers do to the shoemaker, to do whatever shoemakers do. And he could work, if he's a non-Jew, you, you don't have to tell him, don't work on my shoes on Shabbos. He could work on your shoes whenever he wants to. Because you're paying him to do the shoes. He could do it Friday, he could do it Sunday, or he could do whatever he wants to. So also if somebody hires a Gentile for a period of time, Mutter then, if he wants to do whatever he's doing on Shabbos, that's fine too. For example, he hires this non-Jew for a period of a year or two years. He should be his writer, his scribe. He should be his weaver. Then if the Gentile wants to write or weave on Shabbos, it's his business. It's permissible. It's as if he made an arrangement with him to write a book or to weave a garment. The non-Jew could work on it anytime he wants to. As long as he doesn't get paid by the day. If he gets paid by the day, it's a problem. 13. When does this apply? But if it's done privately. Where the public will not be aware that this is something that is done for the Jew. But if it's known and out there that this guy is weaving or writing for the Jew, on Shabbos, Asur is forbidden. Why? He's going to see the non-Jew occupied with this task. He's not going to know the details that he hired him for a year. He hired him to write a book. He's going to say that this guy hired this non-Jew to do a labor for him, a forbidden labor for him on Shabbos, and that's a problem. Therefore, no one will know the details. Therefore, it should not be done. Practically speaking, if somebody enters into an agreement with a non-Jew to build a courtyard for him, a costly or a wall, a lixer sade or two, Cut down his field. He hired him for a year or two to build a, a, a courtyard or to plant a vineyard. Is he allowed to work on this on Shabbos? The question is, how public is it? If it was in the city or in the city limits, in the Shabbos limits, it's forbidden. For the Jew to have the non-Jew work on it on Shabbos. Because no one will know that the details made it permissible. But if it was out in the middle of nowhere, it's permissible. Nobody sees. I'll give you an example. 
What if there's construction being done on somebody's house? Is the construction being able, permissible to be done by non-Jews on Shabbos? The answer is in Beverly Hills, absolutely not. Because everyone will know, this is Mr. Cohen's house, and they're building it on Shabbos. But in India, where there's no people, well, there's always people in India, but there's no Jews and they don't know what this is, if all details fit in by law, why not? Technically, you're covered with the arrangement. Practically, it's not going to carry any rumors. 15. Another detail here. Can somebody lease his vineyard or his field to a non-Jew? He's going to plant it on Shabbos. Where the seer, the onlooker, is going to see it's leased. Or it's in sharecropping arrangement. And everybody knows it's the Jewish land or the Jewish vineyard. And most people don't do these kind of arrangements. Then it would be forbidden. Because the non-Jew will be working on this field or vineyard on Shabbos. And everyone will know it's the Jew's field or the Jewish vineyard. I'll give you an example of a problem that can develop. Can you rent a car to a non-Jew on Shabbos? Sure. But if your car has Moshe's car rental on it, and this guy's driving it around on Shabbos, it could be a problem. Or if your car says, uh, you know, has your name on it, can you give it to a non-Jew to drive on Shabbos? Everyone's going to think you're driving on Shabbos. So these are examples of problems that are similar. Tezayin 16, it's permissible to lend or rent vessels to a non-Jew, even though he does labor, because our vessels don't have to rest. But his animal or servant, it's forbidden, because we are commanded that our animal rest, that our slave rest, as I said in the introduction. 17. If somebody's a partner with a non Jew in labor, in business, in a store, if they agree to begin with that the profits of Shabbos should belong only to the non Jew, whether a lot or a little, or whether a little or a lot, and let's say Sunday's profit should go to the Jew, then it's permissible. But if they didn't arrange to begin with, when they come to divide, the non-Jew has to take the profits of the Shabbos, and they can divide the rest. Being that the arrangement was not made beforehand, he doesn't get anything against the Shabbos, unless it was arranged first. If they received, they undertook to work in a field in partnership. Din who it's one law. In general, the whole idea of a person, of a Jew being involved in business with an non-Jew on Shabbos, and the agreement, and all of that, has to be meticulously done with a responsible rabbi. 18, but if they didn't make this arrangement, they're coming to divide the prophets. There isn't clarity on how much money was made on Shabbos. It appears to me, says the Ramam, that the Gentile takes a seventh and they divide the rest. If somebody gives money to a non-Jew to 
do business up of Bishanach and Reisim Reisim Shabbos, even though he does business on Shabbos. Chelakim v'b'schar Shabbos, b'shabbik they can divide equally. Chain Hayru Kol Ga'inim. This is what all the scholars decided. This was their halachic decision. If you, you put money on the stock market and, and, and business is done on Shabbos, can you enjoy the money? One would think so. 19. Man should, a person should not give vessels to a non Jew Arab Shabbos to make him. Even though he agreed with terms, unless the non Jew departs from the Jew's house before dark, because we don't want anybody to think that this happened on Shabbos. So also a person should not sell something to a non-Jew. Nor should he lend or borrow or give any possession to the non-Jew. Or gifts. Unless he takes that article out before Shabbos. The word I was searching for before was the pawn. Shouldn't pawn anything. She calls Manshu Bebeisay. As long as the non-Jew is in his house, ain't other yadeim asanosunle. A person will not realize that you gave it to him for three hours before Shabbos. He just hung out in your house for three hours and he walked out on Shabbos. When the non-Jew walks out of the Jew's house on Shabbos and he's holding the item which is known to be the Jew's item, it will appear. If he lent something to the non-Jew, a mishkanay. Or he pawned a posakime, or made an arrangement, a mochalay, or sold to him bishabbos. It's not a good thing. Make sure that the transaction is visible well before Shabbos. 20. Somebody gives a letter to a non Jew to bring it to a different city. If he arranged a price, then it's permissible. Even if he gave it to him late Friday while it's getting dark. As long as he leaves the house well before Shabbos. But if he didn't make the price, if there's a set person in every country, in every city that collects the letters and sends them from city to city with its messengers, the U.S. post office, you can mail something just before Shabbos. There should be enough time to reach the house, the outskirts of the city, before Shabbos, perhaps that guy will be near the wall, but in general, it is generally accepted that it is permissible to mail things before Shabbos. It says here, in other words, a post office. Since the post office charges fixed prices for its services, there's no difficulty in having it convey mail on the Shabbos. Accordingly, there's no difficulty at present in sending mail before the Shabbos. On the Shabbos itself, however, it is forbidden to send mail, even by means of the post office. You shouldn't mail something on Shabbos. <coughs> if there's no set person, the same guy who takes it, 
then it's forbidden to do unless one has a fixed price which then puts it into the hands of the non-Jew. 21. If the non-Jew brings his things on Shabbos, and brought him into the house of the Jew, that's fine. Even though he says to him, the Jew says, place him in this and this corner. That's fine. These are the objects of the non-Jew. You can invite him. On Shabbos to eat, you can give him food, Lachlan. So, what if the Gentile takes the food and walks out and there's no Eruv? It's fine. Because a non Jew could carry on Shabbos. On a similar track, can you feed an animal? Can you feed a dog on Shabbos? In the courtyard, and the dog is going to take it and walk out. It's fine. It's the dog's business. 22, somebody was on the road. And suddenly the Sabbath entered. That's what they call traffic. He had his wallet with a lot of money. He may give his wallet, his pouch, to a non-Jew to carry it. And he can take it from him back on Saturday night. Even though he didn't pay him. Even though he gave it to him when it was late. Mutter, <coughs> it's permissible. Why? Because no one will just allow his wallet to sit in public domain. Because people are very, very distraught when it comes to their money. No one's going to throw their money away. It's not going to be permitted. Something which is only a rabbinic prohibition. He's going to carry it himself. He might trespass. A Torah law. When does the supply say with his purse, his wallet? But if he found something, that leniency is not invoked. There's another way to do it in a public domain. You take it and you move the object less than four L's, less than six feet. Four L's is the amount that kicks in the prohibition of moving something in a public domain. And we're going to be learning about that. So if you do less than that, and then you pause, and you do less than that, and then you pause, and you do less than that, you do four feet, five feet at a time, instead of six feet, that is, under certain circumstances, a way of technically avoiding for that prohibition to kick in. Again, don't try that at home. 23. If a Jew engaged in a labor on Shabbos, in a violation of a labor, if he intentionally violated Shabbos, he can never benefit from that ever. But the rest of the Jewish people, they can benefit Saturday night immediately. You, may observe, you shall observe Sabbath, it's holy. It is holy, but its deeds are not holy. If a Jew intentionally cooked on Shabbos, cooking is a big deal. Other people can eat his food that he cooked on Shabbos, after Shabbos, but he may never eat it. But if he accidentally, inadvertently cooked, then it may be eaten right after Shabbos, whether he or someone else, immediately, anything similar. There is something called Tchum Shabbos, a Shabbos' city limits, 2,000 L's outside the city limits. 
if fruit was taken outside the city limits, the and then they returned Bishagig inadvertently. So a labor was done with these fruits back and forth. they may be eaten Bishabas on Shabbos. Because nothing was done to the body of the fruits. And they didn't become transformed. They didn't change in any way. If it was intentional, they should not be eaten until after Shabbos. 25. If somebody hires a worker, to watch a cow, a cow sitter, or a babysitter, on Shabbos, can he pay him? He can't pay him for Shabbos because you're not allowed to have people work specifically on Shabbos for you. Therefore, the responsibility of a paid watchman does not rest on that person because you're not allowed to get paid. He has the responsibility of only an unpaid watchman. However, if the person is hired for a week, you have a housekeeper or a nanny who works for a week, and it includes Shabbos, or uh, a person who works annually on an annual salary, then there's no problem because Shabbos is included in the big number. He gives him his entire pay, and he's responsible like a paid worker, because he's not being paid only for Shabbos. An interesting parallel law, and again, this is not uh, where we decide laws from, I'm just making an observation. Can you hire a cantor to lead the services on Yom Kippur, on Rosh Hashanah? The answer is, of course you can't. Then what do you do? You have them do slichas. You have them do a Saturday night thing. You have them do something else. I'm not on Rosh Hashanah, not on Yom Kippur, and you're paying them technically for that and not for the other. You shouldn't tell them, I want my Sabbath pay. <clears throat> That's a problem. You can tell them, I want my annual pay. I want my pay for the last 10 days. Yes, one of those were Shabbos. But you're not paying me for Shabbos. You're paying me for a 10-day contract. I believe it's over.